someone for this evening is titled Helps for Humility. Uh, before I proceed, I have a challenge projecting my voice. So if the people at the back, you can't hear me or anyone can't hear me, just raise your hand, okay? Just raise your hand. I'll know you're saying louder. Um, yeah, I'll try. Project as much as possible. The text for today comes from Daniel chapter 4. It's a pretty long reading, but uh, I'll read fully, uh, quickly through it. Daniel chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar to all people, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and, and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the vision of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the ends of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the vision of my, visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. And you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached the heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived, it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reached to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is in the interpretation of King. 
It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, and you shall, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the, of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be perhaps, that there, might, there, there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my, by my mighty power, as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's clothes. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Let's pray again. Father, we humbly ask that you may help us to hear your word and to obey it. It's helped me to rightly divide the word of truth and to edify your saints. For your name's sake, O Lord, and for the sake of your people, please grant your Holy Spirit and grant that we may hear you speak to us. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I want to subject you, first of all, to a small examination. Yeah? So I'm going to ask you a question. Um, don't be shy. Feel free to answer as you're late. If you know you are awesome and wonderful, raise your hand. If you know you're awesome and wonderful, raise your hand. Okay. One, two, three, four, five. Anyone else? Oh, six. Seven, okay, some latecomers. Uh, question number two. If from time to time you catch yourself thinking you are awesome and wonderful, and you know you shouldn't, raise your hand. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Hey, 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 too many people. <laughs> Oh, okay. Um, I'll give you the results in a short while. Mm -hmm. um, but before I do, let me make some observations. Um, there is a common statement in Christendom that goes something like this. If you say you're humble, then you're not. I actually debated asking who here thinks he's humble, but uh, I decided against it. Yeah. 
You've heard that statement. Let me prove to you why that's a lie. Have I surprised you? Yeah. Numbers 12.3. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Here's what he says. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who are on the face of the earth. Yeah? Was that a lie? No. Let me read you another statement. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. I'll read you a third one. 2 Corinthians 10.1 I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold, toward you when I am away. Okay, so Paul entreats the Corinthians by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Right there is a statement that he is meek and gentle. Now, if it's true that you're not humble if you say you're humble, then Moses, Jesus, and Paul were all very arrogant. Or else, um, we are mistaken. Okay? Um, I would rather go with the second. So let me give you the answer, the results of the test that I subjected you to at the start, yeah? Some of you are ambivalent, double-minded. Raise your hands twice. <laughs> I think seven people raised their hands the first time. Then almost everybody raised their hands the second time. Okay. So here, here, here is the answer, yeah? Here's the results. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. So let me ask the question again. How many here think they are awesome and wonderful? Okay. Pastor <laughs> Muruki now hasn't raised his hand there. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but to his credit, he, he was the first one to raise his hand the first time. Yeah. You know, the only way you could have raised your hand the first time is if you are a braggart, okay, or if you believe God's word. That's the only way you could have raised your hand the first time. You know, God doesn't do a shorty job. The pinnacle of his creation, man, is very image. Can't be the image of God and not be glorious, yeah? And not be wonderful. So you are awesome because you were made fearfully and you are wonderful because you were made wonderfully. But why is it that um, you feel that Somebody is arrogant if they say that I'm wonderful, I'm awesome. And why is it that you would be afraid to say so if you think you're humble? Let me help you understand why. And to help you, let me give you the first help for humility. Okay, again, the title of our someone is Health for Humility. And the first help for humility is truth. Believe and speak the truth. What is pride? Um, all of us have wondered at some point in our lives, how could sin originate out of a perfect creature like Satan? Now, I don't claim to have the answer to it, but I will attempt the devil, when he was made, was perfect. He was beautiful. 
who was glorious. This is what it says in Ezekiel 28, 11, 14. Okay? He's speaking to the king of Tyre. So he has addressed the prince of Tyre, the earthly ruler. Now he's addressing the king of Tyre, the power behind him, the devil himself. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord, you are the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You are in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardis, sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, you were prepared. They were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I blessed you. You were on the holy mountain in the midst of the stones, fire you walked. Okay? He was made glorious. But then it says in verse 17, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. Let me give you some help maybe to see how just insidious pride is. Yeah. Suppose you stood in front of a mirror, dressed, you gentlemen, dressed in a really fine suit, and you liked what you saw. So you said, boy, I'm smart. Yeah. And suppose the image in the mirror folded its hands and stooped its head like this. What would you do? You would reach behind the mirror just to see if there's a look-alike intruder in your house. And if you realize there's nothing behind the mirror, you'd probably run for your life, believing you've encountered a ghost. You wouldn't say, oh, fantastic, what a humble image that refuses to steal my glory. Okay? So that's not what you're going to say. The, it's okay for the image in the mirror to say, boy, I'm smart, because it's reflecting your glory. Okay? Now, suppose you stood in the mirror silently, before the mirror silently, and as you are looking at yourself in the mirror, this time, the image in the mirror said, boy, I'm smart. Yeah? You would have exactly the same reaction. Exactly the same reaction. Yes, we are glorious because we are made in God's image. And yet, we are only glorious because we are made in God's image. So it is true that you are glorious, but that's just one side of the truth. The other side of the truth is that you are glorious because you are reflecting God's glory. So it is absolutely true. You can say, I am amazing, I am wonderful. You can say that, full stop. And that statement is true. Okay? And yet, that statement, as much as it is true, if the full stop is there, both in the statement itself and in your mind, it becomes a lie. You see? Why does it become a lie? Because it fails to recognize that your wonder, your amazingness, if it's such a word, is only borrowed from God. The person who says, I'm amazing, either says that out of pride, failing to realize that it is God who has made him amazing. Okay, so his eyes are on himself rather than God. The person who's afraid to say, I am wonderful, is afraid to say that because his eyes are on himself. His eyes are not on God. The two people have exactly the same problem. Okay, both of them, their eyes are on themselves. Okay, that's why you are either saying, I'm amazing, out of pride, or you're afraid to say it, because you think 
that you are, the glory that you have belongs to you. You're actually convinced that the glory belongs to you. That's why you're afraid to say it, because in saying it, you'll be proud. So I hope that we all by now realize that we need some help or humility. And the first help is that humility is founded on the truth. You see, when Daniel is interpreting the dream for Nebuchadnezzar, and he is interpreting it by the Spirit of God, Daniel does not deny that Nebuchadnezzar is wonderful. He does not deny that he is glorious, that his glory has reached to the up to heaven, to the ends of the earth, that he is the king of kings. Daniel acknowledges it. Okay? It's true that Nebuchadnezzar is great. He would not have attained humility by saying, oh no, um, really not. I mean, you guys, you should have met like some other kings, you know, before me. You guys were serious. I mean, I'm just uh, an average king. No, no, no. The truth is, he was glorious. King Nebuchadnezzar, king of kings, yeah? And in the same way, we will not attain humility if we deny the truth about the graces that God has given to us. And yet, why was Nebuchadnezzar humbled? It's not because of recognizing that he's great. He failed to recognize that his greatness was granted to him by God. That's why he was humbled. Humility is not the denial of glory. Humility is the recognition that we have only borrowed it from God. Okay? So let me give you an example of true humility. I worked harder than all of them. Nevertheless, not I, but the grace of God with me. That's true humility. Okay? Paul doesn't say, ah, nah, you guys, uh, stop it, come on, you know. I mean, we'll have seen Peter and James praying on the mountain, you know. How many cashers they had. Okay, they fell asleep once in a while, but those guys were serious. You know? No. He says, I worked harder than all of them. Nevertheless, not I, but the grace of God in me. This statement can be really provoking, okay? You call me Lord and rightly so. Who said that? Jesus, yeah? You're not doing him a favor by calling him Lord, you know? Um, so he understands who he is. I am the Lord, okay? I am the Lord. Make no mistake of that. I am the Lord. And yet that Lord is the one who said, I am meek and lowly of heart. So, walk in truth. If God has given you intelligence, acknowledge it. If he has given you riches, acknowledge it. If he has given you strength, acknowledge it. If he has given you beauty, acknowledge it. But remember, not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Second help for humility. You will notice that Daniel 4 begins with King Nebuchadnezzar, all people. Who's writing? Nebuchadnezzar. And it ends with At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? So this is an account written by King Nebuchadnezzar. What is it about? The wonders that God did to him. What wonders were those? He was assigned a portion of insanity. So here's the second um, help for humility. Confess your sins and God's discipline to men. Men. You know, it's very easy for us to believe we are sorry for our sins. It's very easy. You know, you bow down, you ensure there is a religious furrow on your forehead. You say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm very sorry I've sinned against you. Okay? Until you have to face the person you've sinned against 
and confess your sin to them, okay, uh, then it becomes another matter. If we are committed to humility, humility, the pursuit of humility, we have to cultivate the discipline of confessing our sins publicly. Appropriately, of course, appropriately. Another great example of somebody who does that is King David. I've always said Psalm 51 does not begin with have mercy on me. It begins with um, a Psalm of David when he went to the choir master, to the choir master, a Psalm of David. Okay. This is a confession that is published for the entire nation. Published for the entire nation. Now, of course, we need, as I've said, we need wisdom. Yeah. David doesn't say anywhere in that prayer, Lord, forgive me, I slept with somebody's wife. But that having been said, which is not the point of the sermon today, the example and instruction for us is to confess our sins to one another. Not just to God, but to men. Um, sometimes I wonder whether I have an unfair share of God's discipline on me. Because one of the things I try to do is to rejoice in God's discipline and confess when I have received a few makumbos. Like I'm convinced this last time when I was sick to the point of death was in part at least a dis discipline from the Lord because of my rebellion. It's not an easy thing to do. One of the still most difficult things I have to do in my life is from time to time, um, in the evening, sit my wife and say, I'm sorry, today in the mall I was, I was not allowed, please forgive me. I don't have to say more than that. But that at least is, 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 is at least one sin I made, I made up my mind. I would not allow go beyond the bud. And boy, what an effective way to dip it in the bud than to have to face her and to hear her say, God has forgiven me much. I'll forgive you. You know, I'm probably just like all of us, I exact a lot from other people, but not from myself. And so when my wife uh, does something below my standard, my instinct is to jump on her and say, "How? why can't you be a model Christian like me? <laughs> uh, you know, but just before I'm about to say something stupid like that, I remember I have to ask her for forgiveness. Oh boy. What a humbling brings to my soul, you know. It, it puts me in the dust. Um, so I will encourage you, brothers, uh, confess your sins to one another, okay? Not just to God. Yes, confess to God, but confess to one another. If you've had a season of discipline in your life, declare God's wonders. Declare God's wonders on your cheek, eh? all those mighty wonders on your backside, eh? yeah, it will humble you. You know, whereas we know that glory belongs to God, our fallen nature nonetheless still grabs the very glory we know we ought to ascribe to the Lord, yeah? Um, so, your boss says, well done, okay? Um, again, you put a religious furrow on your forehead and you say, glory to God, glory to God. But in what you're saying, man, um, something, yeah? <laughs> you go up to the terrace, you know, stretch out a little, <laughs> say a prayer, you know, while uh, resisting that smile. You know, that smile that's... You know, you know you are something, but you're trying not to, you know, let it break. Yeah. Maybe it's only me. 
who faces such temptations. But yeah, in the head, I know the glory belongs to God, but my heart still wants it. So how does God help us? And how does God prescribe? What help does God prescribe for you in the face of this um, weakness? Because we are fallen, unfortunately. We have a flesh that wrestles against our spirit. The king was warned the first time. Yeah. When he threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into fire, he was warned. He trusted in the power of fire. God showed him, I can, I can take away that power. Okay. And he seemed to repent. But then, obviously, he slipped back into sin. Then he's warned the second time in a dream. Okay. And God took away something from him. What did he take, what did he take away from him? His counsel, which he trusted in, his wise men, enchanters, magicians, useless fellows, okay, couldn't interpret the dream. But Nebuchadnezzar still didn't get the, the memo. So God took away almost everything. And sometimes that's the only way God humbles us. But God calls us. To do that for ourselves so that he doesn't have to wish to us. So here is the third help for humility. Say no glory. Say no to glory. Let me read you the prescription for kings, the kings of the Israelites in Deuteronomy 17 or 16 to 20. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire, many, to, to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book, a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and he shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers. So, what is God's prescription for the king of Israel not to be, for his heart not to be lifted up above his brothers? Let me ask you. Who needs, more, who needs horses more than a king? Who needs silver and gold more than a king? And who needs wives more than a king? And yet God says specifically to the king, he must not multiply these things. Now let me remind you, brothers, you are the children of a king. You are a royal priesthood. So this instruction is for you as well. Do you want to pursue humility? Do not multiply horses. Do not multiply silver. Do not multiply gold. For yourself, I mean yourself. <clears throat> See, it's not difficult to be humble. Yeah, It's not like you have to sit in a corner uh, with the moyo and the mugongo mukonjufu. Yeah, it's there's a very simple to do list. <laughs> Question is, will you obey? Will you obey? You know, I'm grateful that some of you brothers know some of my challenges, some of my weaknesses. I've confessed to you, like uh, you know the way Aaron threw the gold into the <coughs> furnace, and he has absolutely no idea. How the calf came out, you know. He just threw the gold in the furnace and out came this calf. Yeah, that's usually what happens to me when I'm driving a turbocharged car. You know, just I was just uh, at zero kilometers per hour and suddenly I'm at 150. I have no idea how that happened. 
<laughs> yeah. And, you know, we've got very um, interesting excuses. Um, I'm just a fast driver. Yeah. Um, you know, I like to beat the traffic. No, you just love to be fast and everyone else last. Okay. So if you can't discipline your foot brother, just say no to that metallic snail shell, also known as a turbo. Okay. Yeah. It's, no, it's that simple. Just don't. <laughs> because, because it's going to drag you into sin. You know, unfortunately, our mentality is, Lord, give me the temptation and the grace to resist it. But God's prescription is, lead us not into temptation. Okay? Just avoid it. Okay? You might think you are a mature Christian. Ah, now I'm 40 years old. I'm not interested in speed like these young people. Now I can buy a powerful car. <laughs> no, brother, no, no. Just I'm not, I'm, if it's your problem, some of you might not have that problem, yeah? but if it's, if it's your problem, avoid it. For some of you, it might be that iPhone, yeah? Uh, some of you, it might be your bank balance that makes you wonder why the watchman is asking who you are. Okay? <laughs> I, how? You know, by the way, if you're offended, if you're offended, if a watchman doesn't open the gate for you immediately, if that offends you, yeah, you need some help for humility. So that's the... Is it fourth or fifth? Yeah? Um, say no to glory. Now, you might be asking yourself, I have a lot of money. I earn a lot of money. So if I'm not to stock, stock it up, what am I supposed to do with it? We'll come to that briefly. Here's another help of humility. Yeah? Accept rebuke and advice. Accept rebuke and advice. Daniel gives Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation of the dream and says, now let my advice be acceptable to you. Then he says to him, turn away from your sins. Okay. Now, Nebuchadnezzar might have tried for a year because it's a year before he was punished. But then he lapsed. So simple question, how quick are we to seek counsel? Yeah, how quick are we to seek counsel? Um, in every area of our lives, you know, spiritually, career, finances, how quick are we to seek counsel? and to accept correction from brothers. I remember there's a time I preached to someone here and a brother called me after the service and told me, hey, bro, you have niched. Like, <laughs> just wasted everybody's time. Uh, it was a hard one, but thankfully, I reached out and asked for the, the someone be taken down from, from YouTube. But it's not easy. Yeah, it's not easy to receive correction. But we must be quick. Receive advice. Receive correction. Now this one might uh, surprise some of you. And it might seem like the very opposite of what I've just said before but one help for humility is to accept god's grace accept god's grace let me show you how insidious pride is one person is very proud that he has a very big ba bank balance 
Another one is very proud, but he has nothing in his bank account because he gives a lot of his money. Yeah. That's how insidious pride is. And some of us brothers might be, you know, there might be, perhaps many of us who are um, hoping to be very rich, very wealthy, drive the best, live in the best, um, take our children to the best. And there might be other brothers who are bent towards um, beating themselves up. Well, yeah. And, um, you know, there's this song, Who Gave Us All, yeah? Uh, how does it start? O Lord, O heaven and earth and sea. Yeah? Some of us, when we say giver of all, we mean me. Yeah? I don't get help from anyone. I'm always the one helping. You know, being poor is not necessarily a mark of spirituality. Um, it's possible, as we heard this morning, to give away everything and not have love and therefore not be humble. Um, God gives us his gifts generously, our enjoyment. And one of the marks of humility is having the grace to receive. Not just to give, but the grace to receive. You know, Nebuchadnezzar thought he was something before. He was, he became a madman. But after, when he was restored, God just didn't bring him just to where he was before. He says, still more majesty was added to me, even more, you know. And what did that do to him? It just broke his heart um, into a doxology. See, see, previously he said, is this not Babylon which I have built, which I have built? But afterwards, God gave him so much glory that he realized this I have received, okay? And he said, it was added to me. He recognized that he had received it. God just doesn't humble us through adversity. He also humbles us through his generosity. Yeah. And it might not be everyone's problem. It might not be the problem of the majority of us. But some of us may need to learn the discipline of receiving and enjoying God's goodness. Okay. And stop pretending to be the spiritual commando that you think you are. Yeah, buy your wife a dress, buy yourself a suit, go to some restaurant, eat at least half a chicken with, without raising questions of conscience. <laughs> and you know, the reward for humility is exaltation. And that exaltation sometimes comes in the form of not just spiritual, even material blessings. Yeah. May the Lord help us to be humble, also to receive his generous gifts. Um, second last. Daniel gives King Nebuchadnezzar some very specific counsel. Very specific counsel. Tells him to turn away from iniquity. How? By showing mercy to the oppressed. By showing mercy to the oppressed. So, I've given you some advice. I've told you, don't stock up wealth for yourself. Yeah? Don't multiply your horses or your horsepower, your silver and your golds. So the question is, okay, so what am I supposed to do with it? Here's the answer. Oh, mercy, the oppressed. 
Um, you know, I remember a while back, I thank God it's been a while but since I've used uh, Matatus. And I'm not saying what I, I say. <laughs> um, because Matatus tend to be very filthy. And for that reason, may God give you all bicycles, motorcycles, and cars. <laughs> <laughs> if it will help. If it will help. But in the days when I used to, um, long before queues became a, a routine in town, you know, people will just stand around, you know, gentlemen and ladies stand around waiting for the bus. Then the bus will come and suddenly the only thing that was missing is a bleating. But everybody became a sheep. Because people will be jumping in through the windows, you know, using thorax, pushing in. And I, I used to do it. Those days I was young and very strong. Uh, I used to be the one of the first ones inside. Then one day I just noticed uh, there were some old people, some expectant ladies, um, who would just stand by the sides because they couldn't do anything. And I was sitting there in that matatu and thinking, I'm a Christian. <laughs> what? No, 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 no. It's not right. And I made a decision from that day, I will never again run for a matatu. Never again. If I get home at midnight, so be it. Do you know, um, I'm saying this just to encourage you. The, the next day, again, it's almost like the Lord looked down and said, hey, my son has decided to be uh, obedient. He sent some angels, uh, please ensure this guy gets home on time. So what did the angels do? They brought the first bus. All the sheep went for it. Then a second one came and stood just right in front of me, the door, right in front of me. <laughs> and I stepped into glory. Yeah. <laughs> and the amazing thing, why I'm convinced that was an encouragement from the Lord is that it happened so often. It happened so often. Like the, a bus would come, chaps rush, another one comes, and I just walk in. But the question, more importantly, is do we look out for the oppressed or the weak in our midst? Many of us are thinking, praying to the Lord that we will build our houses. Has it ever entered your house to say, Lord, I couldn't afford to build my own house. There's a sister here who's a widow. She might never get a decent house. I'm trusting you, not just for mine, but also for hers. Has it ever occurred to you? You know, we have orphans here in this church. You ever wonder how they get along? As you think about the future of your children, you ever think about their future? It's expensive to be merciful. It's expensive. But it is the road of humility. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. You have a lot of money and you're wondering how to invest it. Just about to see a financial advisor. It's too much in the bank, you don't know where to put it. At least I've given you one place you can put it. Show mercy. Let me finish with the last one. Um, the Bible gives us in the New Testament uh, another prescription for dealing with pride. If anyone boasts, let him boast in the Lord. Now we all believe, we all love to believe that we boast in the Lord. If I was to ask any of you, is Jesus Christ your all in all? You say, yes, he is. Yeah? Who's the most important person in your life? Yes. God in Jesus Christ is the most important person. But let me show you what boasting in the Lord really means. Okay. 
And to know that, you, all you have to ask yourself is, what does boasting mean? Yeah? How do people boast? Yeah? What's boasting? Throwing off. How do they do it? By announcing their glory. Okay? You announce it by the car you drive, you announce it by the clothes you wear, you announce it by um, your residence, the size and shape of your house, and all the bling on it. The more the roofs, the merrier. You announce it by, you know, like uh, I had a very brilliant student when I was in college. He would make presentations um, and he would punctuate the presentations with, even in my international experience, you know, and then you would say something, say something, and then shortly you say, even in my international experience, you know, everybody had to know this guy is not local. Yeah? He's international, yeah, as you know. So how do people boast? You don't wait to be asked. Have, do you have international experience? No. You ensure you insert it in the presentation. And let me tell you, brothers, there's nothing more humbling than the gospel. Glorying in Christ. And perhaps that's one of the reasons why evangelism for us is very difficult because of our pride, okay? Let me tell you, you might be cool, but you will have to have a discussion about your commitment to coolness the day you decide to go street preaching, the day you decide to stand in a bus and preach. I'm not saying you have to, that's not the only way to evangelize, but do people know you're a Christian? Or do they have to wait to discover? Do you Tell people that Christ is your all in all. Yeah, you look foolish. You know, God has loved us by making himself, Christ made himself look like a fool for our sake. And you know what? If you're committed to the gospel, you will look like a fool for his sake. Yeah, and that will humble you. Imagine. King Nebuchadnezzar, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He publishes a doxology for the entire world to hear, praising the God of heaven. And you, whoever you are, find it very difficult to praise the Lord, acknowledge him before men. So that's the final helpful humility today. Glory. In Christ. Now, uh, there's much more I could have said. Obviously, I cannot exhaust um, the subject, but uh, our time is limited, and I will humble myself to accept the fact. <laughs> Let us rise and give glory to the Lord. Mm -hmm.